Welcome to the Helium Podcast. We believe the hardest thing about your job should be figuring out the unknown, not all the business around how to make life work. I'm Christine Ogilvie-Hendren, and I'm here with my co-host, Matt Hotze. Hi, Christine. Episode 10, we made it. Small milestone. I want to thank all of our listeners for subscribing and spreading the word about the show. So this conversation came to us in a great way, which we really hope is the beginning of a trend. One of our three guests today actually emailed us after hearing the launch episode to propose we try something a little bit new. Over the summer, Karen Winehouse was about to start a new position at Oregon Health and Science University. Before she left Duke, though, she wanted to capture a graduate student snapshot of what good mentoring looks like. Her idea to do this inside a helium episode was exciting to us. So we gave it a try with five people hooked up to the microphones. So we hope you'll be forgiving of some of the audio. This was a great conversation and an excellent follow-up to our conversation with Katie Peplin in episode two. What stuck out to me about this conversation was how Karen really began by listening to Anthony and Jessica and brought the mentality that each graduate student within their time in a research group can really offer insight that is lasting about what speaks to their perspective, what makes them feel supportive, and really grows that research group and its culture from then on. Um, it was natural for me to imagine if a mentor spends their whole career collecting perspectives and insights from each mentee, how rich their own intellectual life could be and how much potential they could help access in their career. I want to take a little time before we start this episode for two reminders. First, we're running a poll on our website about our themes for next year. So we're about to start recording for next year. And we want to hear from you about what you want to hear on the Helium podcast. So you can go to www.teamhelium.co slash poll. And that is just four short open-ended questions that will take you less than five minutes to answer to let us know what you're concerned about as the year goes by in terms of what themes we can highlight on the show. And the second piece is wanted to remind you today that our show is brought to you by myprofessorwebsite.com. Please go there to download a free guide about your website and the five questions that you should be answering about how you can broadcast your research out to the world more effectively. All right, let's roll the interview with graduate students Anthony Monroe and Jessica Shannon and curious incoming professor Karen Winehouse. We're welcoming to the show today, Dr. Karen Winehouse. She's an outgoing postdoctoral fellow in environmental epigenetics at Duke University. And she's beginning an assistant professor position at Oregon Health and Science University this coming October. Welcome, Karen. Thanks, Matt. Happy to be here. Thanks so much for joining us. Um, And actually, first, thanks for reaching out to us proactively and suggesting this concept. One thing I love is that it was you who posed to us in response to the launch of our podcast, uh, this idea of a bottom-up approach to mentoring advice. So I was wondering if you would just walk us through your vision on this and how you became interested in the topic. Sure. So I'm, as you mentioned, in that transition phase from trainee to mentor. So I'm naturally thinking a lot about how to be a good mentor and how to create an environment that's both effective and supportive for students. And the mentorship training opportunities that I see available to me right now are pretty formal. There are formal management courses, 
sometimes the occasional chat with an experienced mentor, but pretty top down. And so, as you mentioned earlier, I'm pretty interested in supplementing that with more of a bottom up approach from people that are living through the experience now. Um, because I know that even though I've had my own experiences as a trainee, that doesn't automatically ensure that I'll know what's going on with current students in their training, both because I can't really remember what it feels like emotionally to be a new student and because people are pretty different. Yeah. So, it, you know, in our pre-show communications, Karen, uh, via email and in the chat we had right before we started recording, you've mentioned your instinct and in thinking about how to prepare for mentorship as to, as to be starting by listening. And so we have two guests, two other guests this week that are joining us. So they're kind of waiting in the background to be introduced on the show. And so we, we thought that maybe you could take this opportunity to introduce them to the audience of Helium. Sure. So this is the most fun part of this podcast for me. I think, uh, these two students are the stars of the episode, uh, Jessica Shannon and Anthony Monroe. Uh, so Anthony is a rising second year dual MBA PhD student at Duke. Uh, and Jessica is a rising second year PhD student at Duke. They're both in the Department of Immunology. And Anthony did his undergraduate work at a large research school also, similar to Duke. He was at Cornell. And he's particularly passionate about inclusive mentorship around underrepresented minorities. Uh, so I was really interested to chat with him about that. And Jessica uh, did her undergraduate work at Drew University, which is a small liberal arts school in New Jersey. And her interest in immunology is really an offshoot of what she was doing under the close mentorship of one of the faculty there. Uh, so I was really interested in hearing about how that mentorship experience really influenced her decision to pursue a career in science. Well, that's fantastic. We're really excited to have all three of you. Welcome, Jessica and Anthony also. Thanks for having us. Thank you for having us. Yes. So this is a bit of a podcasting experiment, as we've kind of referred to. And we love the idea that you all propose this uh, three-voice discussion about from two sides, you know, incoming faculty member and some current graduate students around driving the conversation on how can you have this proactive curiosity to guide an approach to mentorship. So Karen, since this is your curiosity was the impetus for starting this uh, podcast idea, we thought that we would experiment by just kind of following your lead and driving the conversation. And, you know, maybe Matt and I may have a few follow-up questions here or there, but ideally we'd love to use this platform to actually have you ask the questions you're most interested in and to just really model this type of proactive empathy that I think it would be so beneficial if was a natural part of taking on and growing in the role of a faculty member. Yeah. So you're throwing me in at the deep end right here. So we're <laughs> about to see just how good I am at this kind of mentor-mentee interaction. Right. <laughs> we'll see how I do. Well, it's already amazing by starting with curiosity, right? Jessica, Anthony, I'm going to put you in the hot seats right now. And, um, and really just start off by asking you to help me remember what it feels like to be a new PhD student. So you guys are rising second year. So you've got a year under your belt. You're part of a community of students. And, you know, I, I sort of remember, I'm a little bit close to it. I remember 
feeling like everyone around me was smarter than me. I was very, very excited about science, but I had no idea what I was doing. Um, I really wanted the approval of the people that I was working with. Um, and I just really always had this sense of anxiety and, um, but you know, I'm, I'm not you and uh, I'm also kind of far from it now. So I'm hoping you can talk to me a little bit about what it feels like and what you would like in particular for new mentors to know that you think will help them help me empathize with starting PhD students to, to be able to connect, not just with what they need educationally, but what they might need emotionally. Anthony, do you want to start off with that one? Yeah, sure. I would love to start off with that. Um, so you kind of hit the nail on the head and it was constant anxiety is definitely, I feel like a part of my daily life as a new PhD student. And I have definitely felt like many people around me are much more intelligent than I am, including in my own cohort of entering students this past year. Um, and it's taken me a little while to kind of get comfortable with the idea that, you know, and confident with my own abilities. And I think that's a huge part of when you first start your graduate education. You have to get over this hurdle of, I am good enough and I can do this. And I think that's where a really strong mentor can come into play um, very proactively in that, seems like a small thing, but hearing from my mentor, you're doing a great job or, you know, I'm really proud of you can go miles and miles because it indicates to me that one, they care enough to let me know that I am doing a great job. And two, it also helps me to realize, like help establish my own confidence in my abilities. Um, and this past year has been troublesome, not just from that aspect as well, but also learning the bureaucratic nature of what it means to be a grad student. And I had no idea how much bureaucracy would actually come into play, but there's quite a lot. And so I think another aspect a mentor can help their mentee is really how to navigate that kind of like, um, like kind of field of how to go about conversing with different faculty members, how to navigate that, what I would call a minefield of bureaucracy in um, department uh, relationships. Um, yeah, that's what I would say. Um, what What do you think, Jessica? I would agree entirely. Um, I think actually like as I'm entering my second year, the anxiety and like pressure is getting worse, but it's definitely in a different way. Um, when we first came in, you we wanted so bad just to, just to make an impression. Um, I think it's pretty safe to assume that every single one of our cohort members, uh, there's 11 of us, felt that everyone else was smarter than the next or better at something. And I, I still kind of feel that way. Um, but it's, it's tough because there's, there's no milestones and the criticism along the way is just that it's criticism. And though constructive, it's mostly negative. So like what you can do better, how you can improve. And even though the intent is usually good, um, it's just the, the you're doing a great job is pretty rare. Um, and to hear it goes miles and like to get the I'm disappointed or, you know, just like negative feedback from your PI, whether it's a rotating PI um, or a, a PI whose lab you're rotating in or your um, lab PI. 
I don't know. It, it, uh, it weighs heavy and I think heavier than they intended to. Um, so I think that them just being aware that I think positive reinforcement, depending on the grad student, probably carries a lot more and is way more motivational than negative might be helpful. I'm not sure if this is exactly answering the question at all. Yeah, that's super helpful for me. I think my follow-up, automatic follow-up to what you just said, Jessica, is as a mentor, sometimes my job will be to say, you didn't quite meet the bar on that one. And are there things that I can do to soften that, to make that a little easier on students and um, have it be both effective and supportive and, and make sure that the students know that I am in their corner with that and I'm not just trying to tear them down? I am not entirely sure of the best way of doing that, but I'm, I think that it's totally fine to tell someone that like, you haven't done this, you need to do this, or I don't like the way this panned out. If there's also at some point, uh, I'm really excited about this, or uh, I'm proud of you, or uh, you're doing really well, and like what you're doing is okay for right now. Whereas most of the time, it's just, I feel like I'm just treading water to stay afloat. Yeah, I actually completely agree with Jessica. I think if you have the kind of standing um, position of they, there is some positive reinforcement, throwing in the negative, or I, want, I don't want to say negative, constructive criticism is completely okay and valid. And I think there just has to be that equal medium. It can't just be complete constructive criticism with no like positive reinforcement. It has to be uh, equal management of the, of the two. And to build on that, I think that you obviously need to have a really healthy and co like constant communication with your graduate students, um, as do we with our PIs. And it almost has to be like outlined and like not necessarily formal in the things that you will discuss, but like goals, um, and like who's, who's, who has what responsibility to meet certain goals. So that way it doesn't just kind of feel like it's all on the grad student all of the time. Um, I don't know if PIs feel like that. I can't imagine that they do. They probably do. But um, it's almost that just like just expecting like them to talk to you or you to talk to them all of the time. I mean, it has to come from both sides and having a set of guidelines, I think, does help. So, for example, my PI had me do an IDP and uh, an individual development plan. And at first I was like, "Ugh, this is annoying, but it actually made me really think about things and less so about myself, but more so what I need, to, what I need from her and what she can do for me in the next like year or two years. Did it make you feel valued as well as a member of the lab and not just a, a cog in the wheel, if you will, that your mentor asked you to fill that out? Absolutely. I think it also, um, reflected on just her general, like, mentorship style and like her professional style because she likes to be able to keep records and look back and be like, okay, what went wrong and why and how can we improve this? Or did we know this was an issue before? Um, but it definitely made me feel important because I mean, I was important enough to be, to have this uh, document filed away in her desk and, or on her computer. Um, and it's something that, you know, we will look back to at some point. How about you, Anthony? Do you have a similar formalized 
individualized development plan or do you just kind of wing it with your mentor? Oh, no. Um, so I also had to fill out an IDP with my mentor. And I also am part of another program called the Yale Ciencia program. And they actually, like, actually help me and my mentor come up with our own individualistic milestones. And the IDP was actually one of them. So I completely agree with Jessica. It was really valuable. And my PI actually took half an hour of her time and sat down, looked at the results thoroughly with me. And that in and of itself made me feel special and made me feel like important to her because she's an incredibly busy person. So taking half an hour to go over what my, this, my course of action for my career and PhD, um, was, uh, pretty spectacular. So I completely agree with Jessica. Anthony, can I step in here for a second? What is the program you mentioned from Yale? What is the name of that program? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's called Yale Ciencia. And so basically it's a NIH funded program that helps to try to, um, for Hispanic, uh, and Hispanic minority individuals in science to promote them to further whatever career aspects they want to in science. So, um, I can definitely, uh, give you some information on that, uh, afterwards, but it's a great yeah. program. I would highly recommend that any mentors who have, uh, Hispanic descent minorities in their lab really reach out. It's an, it's incredible. They do monthly workshops um, that include how to get funded, um, how to promote a good relationship with your own mentor. And they actually fly you out to the AAAS conference to see alternative careers in science, which I think is a wildly important um, aspect in today's PhD um, world to consider. That's, that's awesome. We'll definitely put the links to that in the show notes if you share that with us. Absolutely. If I can riff off of that a little bit, thanks for interjecting and highlighting that, Matt. Um, Anthony, one of the things that you and I chatted a lot about when I first met you was how passionate you are about diversity and inclusion initiatives here at Duke for underrepresented minorities and how that is something that you would like to help promote in academia throughout your career. Can you speak a little bit to how a mentor can create an inclusive mentoring environment uh, and connect with someone whose experiences might not be quite the same as the mentors? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, my mentor, uh, Dr. Georgia Tamaris, is incredible, first of all. And she actually uh, currently only has minority individuals in her lab. And that's a coincidence at, at uh, very much just a coincidence, but she uh, employs this whole kind of atmosphere and dynamic whereby uh, she really looks at the individual holistically, not just based upon their academic performance or just based upon their lab performance even. She actually takes time to learn about the individual personally, what they hope to achieve later on in their career, and uh, their extracurricular activities and or what they're passionate about. And I think that's a really good way to approach mentorship. I think sometimes PIs maybe get so uh, involved with the whole academic aspect of the PhD that they don't take into consideration that we are individuals with a whole perspective of different things that make us who we are. And so I think from that perspective, really looking at an individual holistically is, I think, what I'm really passionate about making sure that mentors know and how they can actually be good stewards to their 
mentees. Thank you for those. I, I appreciate highlighting how helpful that's been for you, that you feel that your mentor really values you as a, as a whole person and all of your experiences. And Jessica, you mentioned to me that you experienced that in your current lab, but that your first experience with that kind of mentorship was really as an undergraduate at Drew University. And I wonder if you could speak a little bit to how that kind of mentorship was helpful or maybe uh, even formative for you and maybe similarities or differences in the mentorship approaches you've experienced in both places and what advice you'd give to new mentors based on those. Absolutely. Um, so I worked in a lab at my small liberal arts school. So we did have some small labs um, because the faculty there are, yes, still expected to do research and publish. Uh, not necessarily as much as those at R1 institutions, but um, still an expectation for tenure. And my PI in undergrad uh, was Dr. Brianne Barker, and she is the reason I'm at Duke University and that I'm in science in general. Um, she is a phenomenal mentor, but she mentored from a standpoint that it wasn't just mentorship in science. It wasn't just an academic mentor. It was... She was like, I don't want to call her a life coach because that sounds lame. But I mean, she knew what kind of like baked goods we like. She knew how old my sister was. Um, she knew that I really liked dogs. And if someone brought a dog in to like the on the floor that we worked on, that she would let us know. Um, she was really interested in our like act, in our career goals, um, obviously post undergrad, but also in just general life interests. And so we did immunology research, but I also really liked, you know, marine ecology. So we, she would, you know, just kind of like throw things my way and she would share her own experiences. Um, so she did her PhD at Harvard and then did a postdoc and then went into I, what's an, I guess, an alternative career in um, liberal arts college teaching. And just kind of like shared experiences along the way and did her best to like really make sure I understood from her point of view what I was getting into now. Um, and just like really the time that she set aside, the fact that like I could text her about a paper and she was just really invested in my interest in science, my success, but also my actual research because, you know, she's evaluated on my success in research. I'm really hearing it come through very strongly for both of you that that sense that your mentor is personally invested in your success and and cares about you as a whole person and not just is invested in your professional accomplishments is really what makes you feel connected and comfortable and valued in your labs. And uh, that's it's just a really good set of, of things for me to remember going into this that um, people start PhDs because because they're really passionate and they want to be around people that are passionate and that really care about them doing well. Um, that being said, I, I would like to circle back around to something Anthony said earlier in the podcast about the minefield of bureaucracy and about how as a new PhD student, you don't totally know how things work yet, which is completely natural. Uh, and uh, some of the communication difficulties that, uh, that there's a minefield of a word that I've seen between mentors and mentees, uh, very often seems to be a mismatch between expectations and perceptions. And it seems to me that maybe some of that is mentors not really explaining the, the playing field, if you will, all that well to their mentees and 
I wonder if you can speak to your own experiences. Uh, maybe we'll start off with you this time, Jessica. Um, at times that perceptions and expectations didn't quite match and ways that mentors can kind of see that coming maybe and prevent tough experiences for students. I would like to start out by saying that I've been incredibly fortunate in my experiences with mentors, um, with one exception, which is what I will highlight. But um, like my experience with Dr. Barker kind of, you know, molded the type of PI that I knew that I wanted to work for. And that is exactly what I chose. And I, the communication I, um, style I have with my PI right now works really well for both of us. And I think it's really healthy in general for, so I came from a liberal arts school. So I came to a start my PhD and I did not know what a postdoc was. And I didn't know what an R01 was. I didn't know what an F31 was, an R21. I didn't understand any of it. And my first PI, I was rotating in her lab in the Department of Immunology. She actually sat down with me for like an hour and a half to explain the grant writing process to me. And it was, it was just, it was so nice. Definitely felt valued. I was really actually close to joining her lab as well. But when times it, when it doesn't work out so well, uh, it just kind of, it creates like really bad blood when the expectation isn't understood and clearly communicated because then the grad student feels like they failed. The PI is just a little disappointed when in reality, all they had to do was explain what they wanted better. Um, unless the graduate student just didn't necessarily do, I'm kind of talking in a circle here, but. Um, Anthony, would you like to put in, go in here? Oh, yeah, sure. So to be fair, um, when I brought up the bureaucracy, I was literally talking about bureaucracy of the department. Um, and it was, I don't even think it's something that my, my PI could have prepared me for. It was really more maybe like individualistic department kind of occurrence. But, um, I definitely was, I definitely learned how to navigate tough situations in regard to differing opinions about things in a department and that the department is basically an amalgamation of different people's personalities that you just have to learn how to deal with. And it's, it was very frustrating for me because I come from an environment where I can openly talk about anything and I'm a very open person. Like I openly admit that I'm, I'm a gay proud Hispanic male and, um, but it was a very interesting endeavor coming to, uh, more of a community that maybe wasn't so willing for me to be open. Not like, like they were ashamed, but more like it was more like, oh, like, you know, you can be what you want to be. You just can't say it too loudly or something. So that's more what I meant about the bureaucracy. And, um, I actually though had an incident where I, kind of try to advocate for um, diversity and inclusion during a faculty recruitment. And it didn't go as well as I would have liked. And I spoke to my PI about it. And what she informed me was she actually taught me a really good lesson. And it was basically that uh, you can never control what people do or what they say, but what you can control is how you react to them and how you can be perceived as somebody who's understanding despite the differences between the person that you're like having difference with. And she really walked me through how it shouldn't, you sh I shouldn't think of it as a reflection of my 
person, that it was just a matter of uh, the department felt a certain need for their um, for their program that didn't fit in with the need that I felt for diversity, and that was what happened in terms of the I, I don't want to say battle because that makes it sound so bloody. I mean more like just a like you know disagreement within uh, the bureaucracy of our department. But my mentor did definitely help me with like understanding and coming to terms with that. So that's, that's very interesting. I think I was listening to you speaking there and I actually have a book recommendation for you because it just made me think of this book. There's a book called The Obstacle is the Way. If you've never heard of it, you should look it up. It's by Ryan Holiday and it's about stoicism and what you just described was part of that book. It was like you were quoting something right out of that book. So I would definitely look into it. It's a, it's a philosophical book, but it's more for like modern times. So I would, I would check that out if you get the chance. It's a, it's very good. It it sort of, it will amplify those lessons. Awesome. Definitely check it out. (laughs) So Matt and Christine, I should ask you, I know this is my first podcasting experience. So I'm I'm just winging it with you, but is there time for me to ask Jessica and Anthony for one last reflection? Absolutely. And I have to say, I'm a bit of a, an epigenetics groupie anyway on the side as a risk person. So I didn't tell you this while we were prepping, but I have always really, really enjoyed your work. And um, I'm not surprised that you are such a natural at a podcast interview, but yes, please, by all means, ask. Wow, I, I didn't realize I had such a fangirl on the episode with me. I'm, that's a real confidence booster. Yeah, I tried to play it cool. <laughs> I mostly just wanted to throw it open to Jessica and Anthony because, um, you know, I met the two of them in a course that we took together as peers, and, and they really just taught me a lot informally. And, um, you know, I'm mostly asking them pro forma questions right now and getting their thoughts. But, um, Jessica, Anthony, what are the things that I'm not asking you that I really need to know so that I can be an effective and kind mentor? Yeah, sure. Um, I can start. Um, there's one thing I think is very important, and I think we actually talked about this, Karen, uh, but l- it kind of stems from the whole holistic view of a person, but when it comes to underrepresented minorities, uh, both ethnic, racial, or LGBTQ uh, status-wise, it just taking into consideration how different their path or journey to be, being in science is. Um, I can't stress that enough because, um, one, I think a lot of VRMs will feel the same way, is that we had to work very, very hard to get to the same position that others, it seems, comes to a little bit easier. And uh, for us, you know, when we are being compared to other people who have had so many privileges and we aren't taking, we aren't being considered in the same way, it definitely, I think, stems into a whole deeper level of like confusion and hurt because we know that we've had to work so much harder. And that's not to say that somebody who's had the privilege hasn't worked as hard, but we've had a lot more obstacles to overcome. And I think as a mentor, when you realize this and you take that into account when you're looking at your student and what they can accomplish, I think it really just really makes you a better mentor 
for those URMs in general. And I'm not saying that being a mentor for a URM is more difficult. If anything, I feel like those students want to prove so much more and they're so much more passionate about making sure that they can make you proud because you're giving them this opportunity. At least that's how I feel with my mentor. Like, I honestly fangirl over my mentor all the time. You can ask Jessica. I talk to her all the time about how much I love my mentor. (laughs) But like, I'm so proud to be in her lab and I, as a URM who feels like she's taking a huge chance on me that like, I'm so, I want to make her proud. And like, I think a lot of URMs and maybe even like grad students in general, actually, I don't want to just generalize, but like they actually feel the same way too. And if you recognize that and like play and like use that to strengthen them, it's, I think it makes the world a difference in my opinion. So that's kind of something I would like to add to that whole kind of perspective. Yeah, I would definitely agree with Anthony. Um, another piece of advice um, which we actually experienced in our class um, from one of our instructors is that just sharing your own struggles or your own pitfalls or obstacles that you experienced and how you navigated them is invaluable to us. Um, if so, if that it, the reference to our class was when one of our instructors was talking about this one line of code or something that we needed to figure out, and she said. Oh, I don't even know if you're really, if you really need it, just Google it. Like I still Google stuff. And to know that you still Google stuff is really important to me because like otherwise it's overwhelming that I'm never going to memorize it all or I'm never going to learn it all. I'm never going to be as good as you. And also just creating a safe space. Um, I know a lot of people don't like a very professional relationship with their mentor because it's, I mean, it's your boss. So there needs to be a certain boundary in there. But um, knowing that my PI has my back, which she does and is so comfortable because I could give the worst presentation of my life or get ridiculed by someone in the department or I don't know, like really anything could happen. But I know that like, at least I've got my PI, I've got my boss. And she will stick up for me, even if she's disappointed in me, even if it's nonverbal, I can go back to lab and feel okay. Wow. Both of your mentors sound like aspirational heroes for me. They're, they're pretty great. <laughs> it's so positive to hear that. And I, I, you know, echoing what you've said and what you teased out from it, Karen, is just this kind of theme of the need for people at this time when they're investing their really their whole life, their life energy, their future in something to also be regarded and acknowledged and legitimized as the whole person that they're bringing to that. Um, and so I just, I really appreciate all of your, um, honesty and vulnerability and just kind of generosity and sharing all of that. And I wonder, Karen, if it just kind of off the cuff, having had this, these few minutes of conversations, are, are there things that you, right away, think I will take away from this conversation and have this shape how I am in, you know, two, five, 10 years to try to still stay that advisor that does make space for the whole person of the grad student and the postdoc that's in their lab. Yeah, I think the two really big takeaways for me are that when a student really feels like you as a mentor, I as a mentor, I'm really in their corner 
um, really have their back. And just listening to the way that Jessica and Anthony are speaking about mentors that, that were those people for them, that they just so feel really safe with them and, and they feel like this person is in their corner. And I think that that creates, um, an environment where a lot of other problems are less likely to crop up direct communication or miscommunication or um, just this feeling that this person actually really cares about me as a person. And, and whatever I can do to create that is going to just create a, a, a better environment for my students to develop. And the second is to remember that my experiences are, are only mine and that there are some parts of them that might apply to other students. But as Anthony was mentioning, that it's really important. I appreciate that advice very much, Anthony, to remember that people get to the same place, but they come from very different places. And there are a lot of different ways up the mountain to a PhD program. And that I, in order to be a really empathetic mentor, I have to stay cognizant of where other people are coming from and all the history and the baggage and, and maybe the different sets of insecurities that people are bringing with them or the different obstacles that they've had to overcome or the different messages they've heard from people around them. And to just continue to be sensitive to that, not to assume that their experiences are mine. Um, so those I think are, are the two big takeaways and Jessica, Anthony, I hope that the two of you will check in with my students and, two, three, five years and ask them how I'm doing. Hopefully I will be doing as well as your mentors are doing. I have all the confidence in the world that you'll be a great mentor. So I'm not worried. As do I, because you're already, you're already concerned about it and you're already looking for feedback and not just kind of winging it. Just acknowledgement of the fact that putting it as a priority is already an achievement and itself. And you know, not only is it kind of this responsibility when a, a student is entering your kind of world, your lab group, but it also ends up creating the best environment to get the most productive science and great output and just everybody kind of operating at their optimum self, which is originally why people go toward this life, but then there's also the, the benefit of, um, getting a kind of a true science family or, you know, colleague, uh, relationship circle that is different in academia and research, I think, than it is in maybe other organizational styles. So you can kind of lean into the goodness of that by making space for all of this. And I just can't thank you enough, Karen, for, for bringing up this idea. Thank you for joining us today, Karen and Anthony. And I'm sorry we lost uh, Jessica off the end of this call, but thank you both. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate uh, a platform to talk. It's amazing. And I uh, just appreciate Karen as well. She did an amazing job. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'm just grateful to be here and grateful for all of you. And I, I really particularly appreciate that Jessica and Anthony are, are willing to stick their necks out and, and, and teach new mentors like me what we really need to be doing to create good environments for students like them. You've been listening to episode 10 of Helium Podcast. 
Our show notes can be found at www.teamhelium.co slash episode 10. The music for this episode was provided by Michael Blake, who can be found at mblakemusic.com. The show is produced by Christine Ogilvie Hendren, edited by Zach Hendren, and produced and edited by me, Matt Hotze. Thanks for, for being a loyal listener to the Helium Podcast. We really appreciate you downloading and listening to our episodes. Please subscribe to the podcast in your app of choice because we'll be back here in two weeks with an episode on listening with actionable steps that you can take to improve your listening skills with author Oscar Tromboli. Until then, enjoy your research and simplify the rest. Have a good day.